Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Let's get into the scriptures. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, the blessedness of brokenness, or the joy of brokenness. Now usually when things break, it's not a good thing, right? You think you're around the house and you hear the proverbial scream of a child and you hear a cup fall and you hear it shatter on the floor. This happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it seems to happen to me about every week uh, with three young children. Um, and usually when that happens, you're like, oh no, and you have to pick up the pieces and you have to get out the broom and then the vacuum and then you're worried about if it's glass or they're glass shards, you're gonna get it in your feet. You tell them, they scream at the kids, you tell them, get out of the kitchen, you can't walk here, they're confused. Um, usually that's brokenness is bad, but in the Christian life, it ain't necessarily so. Brokenness is actually something that we need to embrace as, as Christians, as followers of Christ. Um, there's some really important verses that kind of get us into this study. Psalm 51:17 says, um, you can either turn there or just listen. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That's what you actually give to the Lord. That's what you sacrifice to him is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Of course, in the very famous contrition psalm of David. Um, It sounds a a little bit boomy. Is it just me? Okay, you're working on it. Okay. Um, Or broken microphones. That works too, right? So. (laughs) And Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Now, of course, that appeals mostly to when you're going through things that are particularly hard or trying, but I think it also speaks to a a, a deeper depth that if you want the Lord to be close to you, you need to have brokenness in your heart. Now, just as an aside, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be healed as Christians, because of course we should be. We should be filled. We should be rejoicing, as I see here, even on the walls here. It's not that we shouldn't be walking in greater... Um, confidence in the Lord, uh, that we should be walking through um, as healed people, not just kind of woe is me Christians, you know. Um, I'm, re- I'm reminded of like a, a, a pastor who once said, you know, uh, somebody was complaining about being a Christian. All the Christian life is so hard and and so it's, it's tough, and every, the battles, oh, the battles, and you have to climb up, and then he's like, do you want to be a Christian too? You know, it's like, you're like, that's not a really good way to, this, do you want to join my Misery Loves Company campaign? You know, um, but, but, but brokenness has a, has a really important place in, in the following of, of Christ. In fact, I would, I would say it this way. Brokenness, in fact, can actually make your life better as a believer. In Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, and there, there was a couple echoes of the Beatitudes that were kind of weave into this study today. But Jesus speaking that great sermon of kind of backwards thinking and living, he says, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about the Beatitudes, but when, when he speaks with these verbs, 
He doesn't say blessed might be, or he doesn't like, he kind of doesn't hit it. He said blessed are. He said you, you are blessed if you have a poor spirit. You are blessed. And then he says for theirs is the kingdom. It's not there might be, it's there is. There's assuredness in those verbs, those very active present given ver- verbs, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of the, the jumping off point here is we need to remember that this is the blessing of brokenness. And Jesus in this portion of Luke chapter 18 teaches us about two specific things about brokenness that I'm going to be focusing on today. Brokenness that is basically continually good for us. So let's read Beginning Luke 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Notice they went to the same place, right? They went to the same church. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, which is interesting. If you're ever just praying on your own, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Problem number one. (laughs) He prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And he points to this other guy that's there. Can you imagine praying that way in church? Be like, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not that dude. (laughs) I mean, wow. So if you're coming to the prayer prayer service tonight, just some heads up on things not to do. (laughs) By the way, that's going to be at 6 o'clock, so. Um, And then he goes on and uh, doesn't stop there. He begins to brag. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And that's his assessment of himself. And then we go on to verse 13. It says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, and this is, his, this is his prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house. Notice he's going from God's house to his house. Justified. Justified. It's a very important word. He was justified, the tax collector, rather than the other. And you've heard this before, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. A broken spirit. 
a broken sense of self, self-power, self-righteousness. When you go to the bookstore, there's a whole section called self-help. Stay away <laughs> from the section called self-help because you need help that's bigger than you. Right? You could just stand there actually with Gospels of John and just be like, oh, yeah, I used to think that. Actually, it might be a good ministry. Barnes and Noble ministry. I'm at the bookstore with books. I mean, there's so many things about this that are, are worthy of our attention, right? The, I think the, the biggest thing is just the, the comparison between what we would call righteousness and self-righteousness, right? Exactly. <laughs> so that heroic music was for righteousness. You know, this is interesting, actually. Um, so when you say someone is righteous, and let's just use that in a very kind of blanket way, someone is righteous, and you don't sneak in there that they are self-righteous, you're saying that they're actually good. There's a good thing about being called righteous. When, when you're washed by the blood of Christ, when you've received Jesus' blood, when you've actually invited Jesus into your heart, and you say, Lord, I, I need you to clean this mess up, this that is me, this that is sin times a million, and you receive him, that, that spiritual act, of, of surrender. You are righteous. You are righteous at that point, even if you don't feel it. That's a good thing. To say I am righteous by the blood of Christ is putting is an entirely faith-based premise. It's an entirely faith-based statement. It's a good thing to say. But that's contrasted with this issue of of self-righteousness, which is what this Pharisee was all about. And we're all tempted to go down that path, even if you've known Christ for a long time. The ability for us to kind of get into this idea of, of self-righteousness, that I made myself clean, I, I do all the right things. If you've ever thought in your mind, and, and if you've ever said this out loud, then then that's even worse. But if you've ever thought this in your mind, um, you know, I, I do all the right stuff. I've been trying to do the right things and you don't get like the, the credit you think you deserve or like you're not noticed. And like, then you're, you're along the road of self-righteousness because you're trying to claim that what you do and who you are is because of your own effort. Your own effort. And even though you may not be thinking it at the, at the moment, what you're really saying is the blood of Jesus is not enough. No, I, I'm going to add to this. I'm going to add. I'm going to add some good stuff that I learned wherever your upbringing, your workplace, your education, your skills, whatever it is. You're you're bringing that. You're saying Jesus's blood plus. Let me show you some of this goodness that I've got. And the Christian life is all learning to say, no everything that is based on the righteousness of self, of you. That you have something to offer Jesus besides your surrender. You, you, you don't. 
And we have to be very careful about this. And this is where the issue of brokenness is, is so, and so important, is that you stay broken before him, knowing that nothing you can do can fix this mess. Nothing, nothing can fix it. The Lord can, can fix you. The Lord can fix your thinking. The Lord can fix your feeling. The Lord can fix your situation. The Lord can fix your family. The Lord can fix everything. But the minute you begin to think, let me have, my, let me have a try at this, this righteousness thing, that you're in self-righteousness. And I think it's really important for us to constantly remember this as Christians because, again, that stuff, it begins to creep in, doesn't it? In the thinking, in the speaking. And I think the biggest thing for me about the prayer of the Pharisee, and let's look again at this. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. So he's comparing himself to other people. Have you ever compared yourself to other people? Surely not. I think it's just me. I think it's just me. And I confess, I've done that once or twice or a thousand times. So he's comparing himself to other people. It's just always dangerous, never smart. And, 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 he, and he does point out the things that he does that are good. And this is actually kind of interesting, a little sub-point. He probably actually is more righteous than on a kind of earthly level. He probably does more good stuff than the other guy. I mean, if what he says is true, we don't, I mean, we're not told in the text that Jesus doesn't tell us, and he was lying completely. <laughs> we're not told that, so we have to kind of assume, yeah, maybe he really was like 94% good or whatever, you know, but not completely. And, and the tax collector probably was really pretty bad. But what we know historically about tax collectors and and how they behaved, they, 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 they took from the community. Uh, we're, we're told this in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, of course, you know Matthew, in the Matthew's Gospel, Matthew was, was the dude, was the tax collector. He was the guy who betrayed his people, went to the Romans and began to take from his people and give to this foreign occupying power. So it's very possible, again, that, that the tax collector really was a bad dude. Like if you, if you walked into a building and you saw these two guys, you would probably also assume, maybe avoid the tax collector, maybe go towards the Pharisee. But we're not assessing what their behavior was outside of God. We're assessing what was their, what was their approach to God. Because I will, I will say this boldly, we can't assume at all that the Pharisee even knew God at all. We can't say that he was really his son. We can't say that, that he knew him because, because Jesus tells us what happens when these people go home. He says that only one of them was justified. Do you know what that term justified means? It means in the eyes of heaven made completely whole, completely well, has huge, huge theological implications. When you say, I've trusted in Jesus, you are justified by his blood. It's not, nothing, it's not anything you've done. Again, it's something that you've received. It's a gift. It's always a gift. Always a gift. And he says, only he went to his house justified. And I don't know about you, but like, think about coming to church. You come to, 
you know, God's house, just like they went to the temple. How do you want to leave church and go back to your house? Do you want to go back to your house the way you came? Do you want to go back to the house the way you and work on the next project in your self-help book? Or do you want to go home and actually be justified in God's eyes? Do you actually want to be clean? Do you actually want to be walking more and more by faith? Because if you do, then we really need to pay attention to the prayer of the tax collector. Because he says some really important things with very short amount of words. What does he say? God, be merciful. God, be merciful. He realizes that God is, and he wants him to be that to him. He's recognizing God for who he is. He's actually talking about God's character. Notice the Pharisee's not talking about how good God is. He's talking about how good who is? Himself. We should be talking and praising about how, how good God is. He's really, he's really good. We got nothing on goodness. We don't even understand goodness when you, when you compare it to the Heavenly Father. You know, his goodness is on such a high level, perfect in all of his ways. We just sang that in our song. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. And it's true. Right? The distance of the moon to the earth, perfect. The distance of the sun to the earth, perfect. The placement of you in a family, perfect. The coming to you with his word, perfect. The day you receive Christ, perfect. He has no shadow or turning in his ways. His perfection is so high. We just can't pair it, compare it to any kind of earthly perfection. And the, and the, and the prayer of, of, the, of this tax collector goes right to this issue of God's perfection and God's character and his mercy. That in spite of his perfection, he decides that he wants to give of that perfection to you via mercy. Via mercy. Do you deserve to be cleansed by the blood of the Lord? Yes or no? You do not. You never have. You never will. No one deserves to be cleansed. Does God want you to be cleansed? Amen. He totally, totally, totally wants you to be cleansed because he wants to give of his perfection to you. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to know that you can be justified. He wants you to know that you can be clean. But it comes at the point of recognizing your own brokenness. That you've got nothing to offer but a cracked vessel. Like, Lord, just take this. Have you ever heard that saying, Lord, bless this mess? Never heard that? That's it, pretty much. Lord, Lord bless this mess. Right? And while you're at it, please bless this tie. <laughs> You like that? It's my Father's Day gift a couple years ago. I've kept it in my closet because I just love it. Isn't it awesome? My son Ryan gave it to me. It has a little bit of tape on it because it's you know, a little worn from the years. Justified means that you actually are righteous. 
not self-righteous. And it begins again by us admitting and humbling ourselves, just like that last verse says there. If you're humbled, if you humble yourself, what does that mean, humble yourself? It means to bless this mess. <laughs> it means admitting you're a mess. You know, a good way to start the day is, Lord, I'm a mess. Hi. You know, that's the Hebrew. I'm just kidding. It's not at all. It's the Greek. No, it's not that either. It's some other language. No, it's not. Broken. Stay before him. Broken. Pray before him, knowing that you are broken and you have no chance without him. And the Lord will honor those prayers and those attitudes. And think about it. When you're walking out there and you're with family and friends and this issue of, of humbleness and brokenness, who, who, who do you like to hang out with more? The person who is self-righteous and always talking about themselves and what they did and all that stuff. I mean, doesn't that just get old like really fast? It gets really old, right? But the people who are, are humble and, and broken, you like want to spend more time with them, right? So let's be those people, right? Let's be broken. Let's, let's be poor in spirit. Aside of the blood of Christ, I have no shot, I have no chance. I have no way of getting through this day. I have no way of getting through this hour. Now the second portion for today is verses 15 through 17. So we have brokenness of spirit. But here we get now to brokenness on our perspective of other people, and especially those who are the young, the youth, the babes. Read with me in verse 15, please. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. Of course, this is that Jesus might touch them. Now, before I go on, just think, this, think about this scene, right? He's just talked about this issue of, of righteousness and, and humility and how we should approach God, right? And lowness, like, right? Like this is a call to lowness. This is a call to brokenness. And it says, then they brought infants to him. I can only imagine that there are people listening who are thinking to themselves and who have families, right? Fathers, mothers, they're thinking, wow, this, this guy is speaking in the way that I want my children to, to hear this. And they bring their kids to him, right? And they're not just like, hey, hey, Jesus, look at my kid. They're like, can you, can you minister to this? <laughs> can you help this? What a beautiful thing. They, they, it's, like, it's as though they definitely heard what had just been said, and they're like, let's just, this makes sense. This is the next logical step that we would bring the low and the small and the tiny and the helpless to this one that talks about the greatness of humility and brokenness, and, and surely he will embrace these. And, but what happens? But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, can you imagine what that was like, right? 
children coming to Jesus, Jesus like welcoming them. I don't know exactly how he did. I don't know if he was like, you know, like, like Santa at the mall and come sit on my knee. Tell, <laughs> tell me what you want. And, you know, and they were infants. They may have been just like tiny crying, you know, but Jesus was in, in some way, Jesus was receiving, right? And then the disciples rebuked. It's like, what, what did they say? Like, Hey, get away from them. You know, like those are, those are dangerous children. You know, like <laughs> I saw that kid in the marketplace yesterday. He hit somebody with a stick. You know, or like watch out for that baby. He cries a lot. <laughs> I mean, a lot. You know, like what was their rebuke? I don't know, but, but somehow they got in their minds the way that we all get in some ways is that somehow Jesus and this important spiritual stuff that he's saying is is only for this kind of class of people or only for adults or like oh you really have to be more mature to understand this stuff i'm sorry you know you really gotta you know, have your master's degree you know you know yeah two actually four would be better six if you're really like you know self-righteous um So they rebuke them. So I'm, I'm imagining parents are probably a little bit shocked. Is this falling? I think we should probably just call it a, call it a day with that. Thank you. I would imagine the parents were a little bit shocked or put off by this. And maybe the kids as well. But then Jesus called them to him and said and we're not sure did he call the parents and the kids did he call the disciples maybe all of them I'm kind of thinking probably a group event here he called them to him and said let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God assuredly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So some huge words offered by Jesus after this scene of the rebuke and the children coming. And and Jesus has a lot to teach us that again follow this issue of brokenness and humility and what it's really about to be calling God your father and to be his son or his daughter. And I think there's, you know, there's two things that we can kind of square away from this text. One is obviously our approach to those who are less, those who are smaller, those who are weak in society, those who are weak in your family, the children, the lesser. And, and of course, to say quite simply, these deserve a lot of attention. These deserve a lot of time. These deserve a lot of love. He says, let, let them come to me. Do not forbid them. And how important is that? How important is that that we recognize that the lesser needs to come to Christ? And that we should not hinder them, right? Our job as Christians is actually to bring Christ to as many as, as would hear it, uh, great or small. And to focus on the, the lesser, I think, is a, a really 
important one because he says, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now what is he saying there? He says the kingdom is full of the lesser. What is actually filling the kingdom are the ones who are the weak. And doesn't that completely square up with what he just taught, right? That if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. That the kingdom, which is that place of exaltation, is the highest exaltation you'll ever have in your entire life, comes from being low, not high. Does our world get this at all? Our world is so backwards on this. It's so incredibly backwards. People will bow before money and power, before jobs and riches and ruling and this and that. In a heartbeat, they will bow before it. They will pledge their allegiance. They will give their card up. They will give their soul up for it all day long. And he's saying, this is not how my kingdom works. This is not how my kingdom works. My kingdom is full of lots of people, but it's not full of this. He says, of such, of such, of the little children, this is what my kingdom is. My kingdom is full of these little children. And so our, our attitude towards them has to be different. But, but the second point is this, is that we have to realize that he's speaking about us. He's saying, if the kingdom is full of children, then what do we need to become more like? We need to become more like children ourselves. Now, of course, this is not mean childishness, but childlikeness, right? The faith, the faith of a child. The quickness that a child exhibits in saying, oh, okay. It's not very often that you hear kids argue about the existence of heaven. Does heaven really exist? You just tell them there's this awesome place to go, and they're like, just kind of like Disney World. They're like, oh, great. <laughs> you know why? Because it's going to be great. <laughs> and they get that. They're not like, oh, this is a figment of your imagination. You must be smoking crack. You know? Or like, or, uh, you know, they're not skeptical because they know great things exist. They've thought about it. They've, they've probably imagined the love and the eternity and the wonderfulness all the time. And so you tell them that there's this place that matches up with what they've already thought about. And they're like, oh, great. Sandwich. Let's put it together, you know. But we, we struggle on these lines, don't we? We're like, does God really love me? Am I, am I really going to go to heaven because I received him, right? We, we struggle with these. We, we doubt these things. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is not, this is not what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for you to, to figure it all out in your own finite mind and heart that you can kind of just you, to make yourself think that you're kind of godly in your thinking. He's like, no, 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 I, I'm calling you to trust me. That's, I'm calling you to walk by, by faith and not by sight. And a child is the best example I can show you of that. And so you see a child act that way, you should admire that child. You should admire them and you should say, man, I need, I need that, let me, let me walk in that, right? The classic story of Peter, right? When Jesus called him out of the boat to walk on the water, the first thing he did was not to question the command. He went and he walked and how did that work? It worked great. When did it stop working? The minute he began to consider all the other things and act like an adult. Yeah. 
And I'm not talking in a, in a sense of like, that you shouldn't be mature like if your, your finances or anything like that. I mean, please don't, don't, don't mishear me. When Jesus tells you to do something, the thing you should not do is say, well, because that's the sinking. That's where sinking begins. You say, yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Because this is what he says, this is what the kingdom is about. And he says again, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, so it comes down to, again, this issue of salvation. Are you rec- have you received Christ as a child? Have you just come to him and said, like, oh, I got nothing. I got this, I got this mess, right? Bless this mess. I got nothing. Would you receive me as... As your kid, and and doesn't this flow wonderfully into the idea of what what makes a good father on Father's Day, for example? This issue of, of of brokenness and this issue of being like a child, because good fathers are made from these two things. They're made from fathers who don't have a sense that that they've got it all together all the time. That sense of control that men are so prone to to kind of hold on to. I've got it figured out. I've got it under control. And he's like, I don't want that. And it doesn't make you a good father. And then the sense of looking at a child and not only seeking to protect and to guide and to watch that child, but also to be more like it in terms of faith, to begin to walk that way. Does not our world need fathers who exhibit these things of brokenness? We need to be these kinds of fathers. And I would just encourage the fathers in the room, seek out brokenness. Seek it out in your homes. Seek it out in the relationship to your children. Seek showing them how a child acts because that's what the kingdom is made of. And if you only show your kids how to be the I've got it together guy and you don't show them how to be broken guy and walk in faith, then they're going to learn the former. They're going to learn how to pretend that they have it all together, right? And I mean that sincerely, to pretend I have it all together, because you don't. Sorry. Did that burst a bubble? I heard some pops in the room. Pop! Oh! And, and to act and to begin to, to demonstrate a living, living a life of faith to your kids, they need to see you acting as a child in faith. Because they, again, will, will learn that behavior. These are the behaviors that are taught. And fathers, guys, we need this. We need to embrace brokenness. I'm not saying you shouldn't be strong. I'm not saying you shouldn't be leading your families. By no means am I saying those things. But how do you lead them? What kind of strength are you displaying? Is it your strength or is it God's strength? Because there's a big difference. Is it your ability or is it, is it God's spirit through you? Is it, is it him? Because the two are as far apart as the east is from the west. A broken spirit keeps men humble. A broken sense of other people and keeps you focused on it. It's not all about you. It's about others. How do we get here? How do we arrive at this place of accepting 
brokenness? How do we arrive at this place where we can truly say, I'm, a, I'm broken before the Lord, and, and I'm going to stay there at his feet? Well, I think the answer is quite simple. You have to get really comfortable with being his kid. No, that sounds simple, doesn't it? Oh, I'm just, and we sing about it, right? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Maybe that was three weeks ago. Anyhow. But you know the song, right? But like, are you comfortable? Do you, like, do you actually believe that? Do you actually walk that? Do you actually live that? Do you walk as a child? You know, we had a, we had a baptism. And people were coming to make their public statement, right? About following Christ. And, and I was looking at these people and, and I was remembering my own baptism. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. Um, I, I didn't, I had no idea that that was the way I was supposed to go. I, I had no idea that Jesus was the way, the truth, and life. I had no idea until I met him. And all I could think when I was looking at, at, at these people was how awesome is this that God is doing the thing that he loves to do the most, which is to gather his people. <laughs> like all God wants for people is to just be a father to them. That's all he wants. And Jesus talks about this when he's, he's talking, he's re- referring to them within, in the city of Jerusalem. He's like, oh, how, you guys missed this. How I've longed to gather you as a, as a hen as it gathers her chicks beneath her wings. He's like, this is my heart. This is what I want. This is what I desire. I just want to be your dad. I just want to be your dad. I just want to hold you and protect you and comfort you and shelter you and bless you and feed you. That's all he wants. That's his, that's his supreme goal on planet Earth is just to do like take the whole Earth and just, just, the, just the wings of the chick and the, the chick just go. My kids. And, and that's what was on display in the baptism was just like seeing people who've made the decision to come home. Who've made the decision that they just want their dad. They just want their heavenly father. And that's all it's about. That's all it's about. But we have to be really comfortable with that. We have to be really comfortable with just being his kid. And sometimes you have to kind of embrace it maybe in ways that you haven't before. Just to say, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a toddler before you, Lord. I'm just learning to walk. And the Lord can do much with that because it's a prayer like the prayer of the tax collector. You're just saying where you are. Like, I'm just beginning, really, really just beginning. And however long you've walked with Christ, maybe you've walked with 20 years and you're kind of thinking, I got, the, I, I, I got this walk with Jesus down. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> But you can say, I'm going to keep coming back to this place of being a child before him. And then, yeah, yeah, then that's how maturity happens, actually. So we have to be really comfortable 
with saying, my father, right? Or as was, 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 was given to us in the, the great teaching on the prayers, our father, right? Why does it start there? Because that's where it starts. <laughs> if you don't get that, the rest of it, it kind of doesn't even make sense, right? It's just like this like floating God in the universe. And it's, like, it's like, no, a God who loves you, our father, our father, that's what he, that's what he wants. He just wants to be your dad, the perfect dad. Who doesn't want a perfect dad, right? I mean, all the classic pictures we're seeing in videos and film and all this kind of stuff. But don't we still just really need that? All the women in the room, don't you just need a perfect father? All the men in the room, don't you just need a perfect father? The one who throw a catch with you just the perfect way, not too hard, not too soft. Catch it, throw it again, talk about things. Hey Lord, I'm going through this. What should I do? Yeah, that's a good point. Lord, I don't know how to handle this. Lord, I'm, I'm depressed. Lord, thank you. We have to stay broken before him. We have to stay as his kids before him. And I'll leave you with one verse. Turn with me in Matthew. Chapter 21, verse 44. It's a strange verse, but it's so beautiful. And I meant to mention this before, but the prayer of, of the Pharisee, one of the things that it lost, one of the things that it didn't have, it didn't have any beauty. There was no beauty in it. The prayer of the tax collector was rough and to the point, but it had brokenness and it had that kind of rawness that it makes true beauty. You ever looked at a, a flower under a microscope? It's not all perfect. There's all kinds of little hairs on the stem. There's little things on the, I mean, it's per, it's like you look at it, but it's got all these little things that are the mark of true beauty and true perfection. Great painters pay attention to such details and they see the the beauty of the detail that goes into making the thing that is perfect. Matthew 21, verse 44, gets at this a little bit too. Jesus is speaking and he talks to them about the stone which the builders rejected. And he says to them in verse 44, whoever falls, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, whoever falls on this stone, the stone that is the cornerstone. What he says this, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But that's the good brokenness. Because if you're going to fall on Christ, you have to be broken. But he is supporting you. That's the idea. But on whomever it Fall. So you're not falling on the stone, whoever the stone falls upon. 
in judgment, it will grind him to power, to powder. And I just can't think but, but imagining like something that is, is so gone that it can't be reconstituted. But there's a goodness of the brokenness of those who fall on the rock. And that's what we need. To fall on the rock and be broken. But the rock is beneath you. And it will support you. And it will save you if you cry out to it. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we need you to bless the mess of our lives and we need you to help us to be more childlike. We need you to show us again how impossible it is to be righteous without you. And we need to remember that you are lending us your perfection through the blood of the Son. And if there are any here who, who have not entered that, that realm of, of falling on the cornerstone, on the rock, and being broken, then I would just encourage you this morning, and Lord, would you just speak to those people to come to Christ, to fall on that stone, to admit your brokenness, and ask him to be your healer and to be the one who justifies you so that you can go to your house today justified. Don't, please don't leave here unjustified. Please leave justified. And Lord, would you just bring those people forward in prayer and would you minister to our hearts and help us to grow as a body in brokenness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.